We're a country that I think really upholds freedom in a pretty genuine way and is a place where people can really reach potential and really have a pretty great life and, and hopefully a pretty fearless life. Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and today on the show, and actually for the next few weeks, we'll be chatting to industry professionals about what makes strategic planning in Canada different from the rest of the world and what a Canadian style of strategic planning might have to offer the industry. Today, we're joined by Erin Bertan, Group Strategy Director at Publicis. Erin, um, super excited to have you here. I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a bit about your background, um, especially some of the markets that you've worked in. Um, and then we'll kind of get to the, the core of the question, uh, talking specifically about how strategic planning in Canada is different from the rest of the world um, and what you think Canada can uniquely offer the industry. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I started my career actually client side, um, but I always like to mention it because I started my career in Cadillac Fairview and social media marketing, um, working on the social media strategy across all of the retail properties um, back in like 2010 time when social media was really just taking off for brands and businesses. Uh, it really taught me, uh, long story short, that I loved retail. And that's kind of been a, a thing that's followed me and helped me everywhere I've been and everywhere I've worked. So um, when I went to consultancy agency side, my first st- spot was Jackman, which does a lot of work in retail. And so there I worked on um, American clients and Canadian clients. So Vitamin Shop, Cisco, the food services business and Rivera. And then I also, and then after that, I ended up moving to London, England in 2016. And so I worked at two places there. I worked at Circus, which was a very purist brand consultancy. There's no design, no advertising. It was building these like, um, 50 page decks going through really intensive workshop processes with clients and really focused on building brand-led business strategy. And it had been around since 1998. And um, it was still run and managed by the founder and senior partner, Dulles Maltby, who is uh, kind of an icon of the industry. And so for me, that was like real planning boot camp almost um, in terms of teaching me exactly what brand strategy is about and how it can be used to direct all functions of the business and why you look at some businesses like Nike or Lego or those ones that just really seem to constantly uh, deliver that really clear emotive brand promise across everything and how they're doing it. And so that was just like an extraordinary education. Um, And after that, I went to Super Union, which was a really large WPP design agency. And so I had a really interesting time because through there, I was even able to touch some other clients across Europe. And um, uh, moved back home and I started at John Street, where I was up until I joined Publicis. Thank you for pronouncing it properly. I always want to say Publicis, and then I know, no, it's Publicis. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I've been now. I'm Group Strategy Director here. Um, I've been with the agency for about three or so months, and yeah, really enjoying it so far. Yeah, and what made you decide to move to London? Was it um, for a particular opportunity, or was it just kind of personal um, ambition to travel and have something new? Totally. Yeah. It was kind of like opportunity adjacent, almost like, uh, my then 
well, I guess fiance, now husband, he, we had both always wanted to uh, live in London independently. And we'd always talked about it. And he um, works at one of the big four. And so one of the really kind of gifts of working at major, a major company like that is that they do provide you with those kinds of opportunities. And so we transferred over and I had an ancestry visa. So I didn't have a job when I got there, but it was that retail background that I commented on when I when I got there, Circus really does focus on retail. A lot of the brands are retail. The founder is ex-body shop. Um, she worked there when Anita Roddick worked there and was, uh, well, worked there, ran the place. Um, and so uh, it, that was my kind of link in along with my strategy background. It, it's really tricky to um, to move country to country when you work, I'd worked only at one independent agency and, and, and for a brand that is really well understood Cadillac Fairview in Canada, but not in a global market. So you have to do this like extra effort against your resume of explaining fundamentally what this, you know, these brands that would have been considered so impressive and big deals in your home country are nothing (laughs) where you go. Um, And so you have to do a really big job of really explaining this is what this company is. This is how much it's worth. This is the kind of stuff I consulted on. This is what this agency does. This is what it stands for. This is how it perceives problems. Um, this is the type of experience I have in a, in a deeper way than you, than you would have had before. So, um, that was really interesting, but yeah, so it was, sorry, that's a long winded answer for you, but it was, um, opportunity and, uh, just personal interest and those marrying up and us getting there. And then, yeah. And then I, and then I, hit the ground running. <laughs> and so what I'm, I'm curious when you came back, um, I guess maybe that's where things became obvious if there were similarities or differences. What, what were some of those um, that you've noticed uh, in, in terms of approach to planning and, and that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I came back, I, I'd never worked in advertising. Um, and I realized as I was kind of, you know, I was networking, we, we, had been on a travel sabbatical and then it was on the pandemic. So I was networking and looking for work in the summer of 2020, that first pandemic. And and, and a lot of my conversations um, really honed in on advertising really quickly. And I realized that um, a lot of people do understand the broader definition of brand strategy and how to develop a brand-led business, but also a lot of people in this market still really deeply associate brand with marketing and see it as kind of the exclusive remit of marketing and advertising. And so um, part of my draw was one, I thought, well, I don't really have a lot of experience in advertising. I should and learn and I would, I, I'm always interested in kind of being more T-shaped and kind of broadening out myself, being more of a generalist than a specialist. Um, but also I, I thought I need to be able to speak the language of brand strategy that this market is, is, is speaking. Um, and so that was a really interesting education up front is that um, I would say here we still, yeah, it's what I said. We, uh, in Canada, it's really still seen under the umbrella of marketing. Um, and I think when you look at some of the most impressive brands in the world, like a, like I mentioned, Nike or a Lego or a Starbucks in its heyday, they let the brand infiltrate the whole business. Um, and so, And so I think that's something that I hope I know there's definitely people in this market that are working very hard to change that impression of where brands should lie and live. And and that's something that I would ultimately really hope for is that this market continues to build great consumer brands where it's, it's part of the business strategy versus just part of marketing strategy. 
And so did you find that as a difference? Like when you were over there, you know, were your clients not just from the marketing department, let's say, or were there different approaches to help kind of infiltrate it across the organization? Yeah. Um, and a lot of the agencies I worked at, well, the two agencies I worked at rather, often your client was the CEO. Sometimes it was marketing and then the CEO was integrated in at a certain point. But um and or there were a couple instances where you worked with private equity, where private equity had purchased a brand or business and said, um, please help us uh, develop this in a way that is going to um, uh, give us a really strong like foundation to make this a brand-led business and, and win at a white space in the category and really stand out so that we can get the return that we'd like to get in the next five to 10 years um, in those kind of bigger, richer strategic brand projects. Yeah. Often it would be, um, inclusive of the CEO or the founder of the business. So, so whereas, whereas, um, here, I don't, I don't think that's as common, at least in my experience so far, or it feels like a very special request. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just, I think there's, I think it maybe is just the maturity of it in the market or how it's positioned in the market. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, probably it is partially just the maturity of it and there being a lot of examples of success of strong brands becoming really strong businesses and knowing that a brand strategist was, in, was involved in it um, to get it there. Did you notice any difference depending on the size of the company, like in terms of clients you were working on? Because um you know, here, I think it's easier to see if it's a small startup and the CEO has been involved in founding it and has a vision and all that. Of course, they're going to be involved in defining what the brand is. Um, but then you mentioned other co uh, companies like Nike and Lego, which are obviously massive. So, yeah, you know, that's a great question. I think I think they're. So no, not necessarily. I think I think you could argue, just like to your point, that often founder-led businesses, especially if they're consumer-facing, are almost essentially brand-led businesses because usually a founder has such a clear, innate sense of what it is that they're building and is still touching most things. So, so sometimes at Circus, part of the remit would be, which is one of my first places that I was at, was if they knew they were going to sell the company and the founders were going to leave the company or if the company had maybe... Um, you know, for example, I worked on the body shop at the point where um, L'Oreal sold it to uh, Natura & Co. Yeah, the same owners of Aesop and Natura Beauty. And and, um, and they said, we really want to kind of revisit the, the roots of what this brand stood for. We pioneered a category and now we are no longer considered powerful in this natural beauty category. How do we how do we reclaim that? How do we go back to what we once stood for? So so. I think it's no, not necessarily, I guess is my, sorry, all my answers are so long. I did find that, um, uh, it may have just been the kind of shops I was working at, but usually if the, the CEO would get involved, cause they had a real intent to rethink how they were running the whole business. Interesting. So any other differences that you noticed, um, on coming back to, to Canada, um, and reflecting on your time in the UK? I don't know because the pandemic also changed so much about how we work. So I don't know if it's the market or if it's partially um, the pandemic. I think there's there's so much desire to be so fast. And I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on it. So I don't know if it's market specific. There's a, there's a ton of pressure on all of us to turn stuff around really, really quick, to do more with less. Um, and I know that that's pressure that's on our clients too. I think um, the version where it's like, uh, we have 
six months or eight months to really figure this out. We're going to do a bunch of this upfront kind of interviews and immersion and all of this stuff. A lot of, a lot of questions almost need to be answered in the pitch and kind of a three week turnaround. So, but I, but again, I don't know if that's about this market or if it's about, um, or if it's more related to just how much work has changed over the last three years. I left the UK in 2019 and I started working in a pandemic reality when I entered the Canadian market. So, but I, I think that there was probably just a bit more, a bit more immersion that happened in the UK market, a bit more control around time and saying, we really want to go really deep to get this, to get this really right. On the other hand, I think that sometimes you can overwork things really easily. That's my Achilles heel, um, potentially as a result of <laughs> being in those being in those situations, whereas sometimes the most beautiful, clear strategy is kind of staring you in the face and doesn't require, you know, uh, seven weeks of deep dives. So, yeah, it can go either way. So potentially um, more investment or time in, in research, it sounds like, or primary um, approaches to getting to consumer and cultural insights? Yeah. And also just really strong familiarity with the brand as well. Right. Like sometimes I think it's just, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about because we're a country of so many newcomers. So you might not necessarily know a brand just because you live with the brand. So what does it take to really, really, really get familiar with the brand, with its category, with its competitors, with all the nuances that are influencing it beyond kind of a brand point or beyond kind of a, a, um, a perspective of marketing, but like, what are the forces that are, that are, you know, causing this brand or business to be at an inflection point um, and getting really clear on what it is that you are almost battling against and what role then that like the brand has to play in, um, in making it for the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I find that people always have an easy time answering the first part of this question, which is how strategic planning in Canada is different from the rest of the world. But then the, the second part um, leads to often some really interesting answers. Um, is there anything specifically that you think Canada can offer um, the industry in terms of our approach to planning? Yeah, I do. Uh, so uh, I really like this question and I, and, I, and I did, you're right, totally grapple with it. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this though, in the, in the context of we were seeing some uh, some stuff from the states the other day, or it was a pre presentation from a research company in the states, and um, and a lot of it was like really dark and felt really heavy, and and you and you and I think that I would say globally, a lot of us are feeling you know pretty distressed, pretty pretty freaked out overall. One thing that has always been a bit of a comfort and security blanket around Canada is like, yes, sure, when another country or specifically America sneezes, we want to make sure we don't catch a cold. But we have a pretty strong moral compass as a country. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make it back on the table that isn't really up for debate. And I think we need to continue to keep protecting that. But there is a huge amount that's just um, culturally embedded around um Yes, those those terms that we use like inclusivity and diversity, but the the kind of deeper meaning around that of really taking care of people and supporting different people's lifestyles and being more just socially minded. And and when you compare us to the rest of the world, there was even, you know, a comment around um a pride thing we did the other day where where um someone said, Oh, this wouldn't have happened in my home office. I think there's a lot that we can do around just um, I don't want to use too many heavy words like moral leadership or, or something like that. Because obviously I think people um, have a spectrum of how they feel about things. But 
we're a country that um, I think really upholds freedom in a pretty genuine way and is a place where people can really reach potential and really have a pretty great life and, and hopefully a pretty fearless life. The one thing that I would say alongside that is that, gosh, Canadians are so polite and we're so scared to be canceled. And I think it's really hard for uh, brands to be brave right now. And so I think we can offer that. And I think there's an opportunity for um, hopefully Canadian marketers in general, agency and client side, and then the brands that we work for to, to decide to take a stance on certain things and do it in a really in a really genuine way because that can have an impact not just where we live but in a in in the larger sense of the world I think all of that matters. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting um you know in some of these other conversations that I've had on this very same topic uh the word empathy has come up uh time and again and that is in relation to how we work with each other and how we work with our clients. Uh, there's been a feeling of more collaboration, but if you push it to the extreme, it's also a fear of uh, n- not wanting to like rustle too many feathers, um, or to avoid conflict, or to <laughs> um, not to push back too aggressively. So it, it, it's interesting how you can kind of have that spectrum. Obviously, you can see in a positive light, and then you push it to the extreme. Uh, potentially, could be seen as as negative, but it's def- definitely a different style or way of working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, really, really good point is that, yes, we're empathic to the point that sometimes it can lead to a bit of paralysis, right? Like there's always someone you will offend and there's so many keyboard warriors these days. Um, and, and, and I think like some brands have, um, really struggled to, uh, to, to kind of, uh, be brave effectively or to do something that doesn't feel tone deaf or whatever that context might be. Because I think people really hold brands to account. Like when you go back to that idea of brand led business strategy, they say like, okay, thanks for your messaging, but I want the proof points against this. Um, and so if you aren't walking the walk as you talk the talk, I think it's tough, but I, 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 I do think there's just some fundamental stuff that brands, I, I don't know, we, we can, I think as I think sometimes we take for granted how many freedoms we have here and um, how far we can go with representation and with all, with so many things that um, I would love for us to do more of that because it's pretty powerful because our work, you know, the internet's powerful. Our work gets, gets seen by lots and lots of people. Um, you know, obviously Canada totes itself on being a very diverse uh, market or having a very diverse population, rightly so. Um, but, you know, the UK has that as well. Um, we are also a country of many different markets, even though some briefs would lead you to believe it's only two, kind of Quebec and the rest of Canada. Um, I'm, I'm curious, did you experience that in the UK? There being different, you know, regionalities or points of view from people, uh, depending on where they came from in the country and then, and how you would address the um, ethnicity and, and people coming from different uh, countries or parts of the world as well. It was more so like, are you able to, are you speaking to the average UK person versus like, you know, the same way we can suffer from it too, versus like you who lives in a nice kind of pocket of London and makes this much money and so on and so forth. I think, I think that was the primary conversation that was, would still be happening because uh, one of the things that I think makes a really strong strategist is taking yourself out of your own headspace, but there's, there's only so far you can push that because lived experience is just so essential. So I, I don't think I'm quite answering your your question, but 
that that would be the main thing that I think was quite challenging for the UK in that sense. Yeah. W- would campaigns ever be ad- adapted for different parts of the UK or, or different kind of um, consumer insights taken from different regions or ethnicity groups, did you find? or? I don't know because I didn't work in advertising when I was there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think certainly like the, you know, I touched on the BBC a little and like, you know, the breadth of who lives in the UK was taken into consideration showing the diversity. But in terms of actually, I, I imagine that stuff must have been, I think often there's, you know, nods to uh, locality in terms of like, um you know, neighborhoods and like other different towns and stuff like that throughout the UK in terms of uh, changes for a specific kind of ethnic group. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, um, both at Circus and Super Union, I assume like you were involved in kind of brand positioning and brand planning type um, activities or? Totally. Yeah. A lot of that, I would say like all of Circus work was, was really heavy handed positioning and, 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 um, activation, but like activation across the whole business. And then super union, which is now actually called design bridge. Um, I forgot when I was going through <laughs> the setup, um, it, it, that was about half and half. So, but a lot of the, um, outcomes was more kind of brand design outcomes. So someone was coming us to kind of, um, change their positioning. And then also what the look and feel was that would go alongside that position. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if this would apply, um, kind of given your experience, but did you find any difference between kind of, um, acceptance or appetite for kind of emotional versus rational type messaging? There's been some commentary on that about, um, how it seems to some that given their experience that in the Canadian marketplace that we, we seem to veer more towards proof points and data points and, um, product features and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, and I would say that um, in the UK, one of my like one of the big observations I have is that they they, um, they really believe in the general intelligence of the consumer. Um, and not to say that we don't think Canadian consumers are smart, but they just humor, um, wittiness, um, certain kind of like emotional places that you can take things. They believe that the consumer will often pick up what they're putting down versus getting nervous about, will the consumer really get that? Um, and so I think, I think that I've seen as kind of being a, a big difference because I think part of why we end up maybe relying more on, on functional is because there's a concern about how many people will truly understand this more emotive message that we're, we're making. And I think if it's, you know, if it's really connected to uh, a strong human truth, even in a single story about someone that doesn't look like you or doesn't have the same background as you. But if that human insight is there, then I think a lot of people can just connect with human emotion and recognize elements of themselves and things still. And so um, maybe it goes back to my, my, my bravery comment. Um, I think in the UK, they just, yeah, they have that belief system. They're going to get it because this is smart. And so let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the UK has this whole kind of history of, you know, the John Lewis type advertising totally. and the storytelling, the people actually seeking out the ads. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, the Christmas, like, war. And I mean, we know John Lewis really well, but it's Aldi, it's Tesco, it's Marks and Spencer, it's Waitrose. So it's like, I think we always know that John Lewis is this crown jewel, but over there, it's really, really fun to see like, you know, Little and all these other brands coming to, you know, to the plate for, for Christmas. It's quite cool how, how, how big of a advertising event it is there. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's been really interesting to get your reflection. I mean, so far we've spoken to um, a number of actually UK expats, but it's great to hear the perspective from a Canadian who's spent some time in that marketplace and now come back um, to reflect on what the differences are. And and also given, um, I think you had such a, a clear grasp of kind of the um, the, the ethos of, of Canadians and Canadian culture. Um, you know, you've talked before about the strong moral compass and how that is, is so strongly culturally embedded in us. Um, and I think that potentially is something super interesting that we could lean into more with some of our storytelling. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.